Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is Claire Bartholik, aka The Planted Runner, and the host of Run to the Top podcast on Runners Connect. Claire is my guest this week to talk specifically about master's training, and running as a master just means running over 40. Now, the common misconception is that when you age, you slow down, and Claire is proof that that is absolutely not true, although there are some special training considerations for when you are a master's runner and how your training might change. Claire, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks, Elizabeth. Happy to be here. So with all my guests, I want to hear your story first. I'm always fascinated to hear how people became runners. So tell us, how did you become a runner and how did you become the runner and coach you are today? Well, I actually started uh, a little bit as a kid and uh, trained um, for a half marathon at age 14. Um, with outward bound, which is an out, you know, which is an outdoor, um, you know, growth kind of experience. My dad had done it, and he said, "Hey, you have to run for this." And I actually did really well. I beat all the boys, and then, you know, never really run again. Well, I that take that back. I did run again in high school. I I joined the track team, raced one meet, and got last place and quit. And then, so I didn't really run again. In my 20s, I I trained for a half marathon as I was getting over a breakup, but then stopped running again. So really, that was all of my experience until um, my late 30s. Um, My high school reunion was coming up, and I was like, well, I better get in shape. And so I started running, and I'll tell you, for the first year, I hated every step. I was doing it just to uh, for vanity, just to look good. You know, my uh, husband at the time would say, "Have fun on your run," and I would say, "What do you mean, fun? I'm running. I hate running." <laughs> and anyway, so the reunion came and went, and for some reason, I had slowly gotten hooked, and I had decided, "Well, I'm going to keep running," and trained for a half marathon, and then. I heard about a friend of mine who had run a marathon, and it wasn't just any marathon. It was the Boston Marathon. And so I was like, oh, well, I'll just do that. She can do that. I can do that. And uh, so I was like, well, I'm just going to train for Boston. And I realized, oh, you can't do that. You actually have to qualify. You have to run another marathon first and you actually have to be fast. So um, I was not, you know, I, I, so I did train for a marathon and didn't qualify my first time out, but I did qualify my second marathon. And so I had by that time completely fallen in love with running and had um, just fell down the rabbit hole. So I had done it. I was 37 at the time. And so I um, trained and trained and trained and really got into everything running. It became like my obsession, you would say. And um, eventually at age 42, I completed a marathon in three hours and, or sorry, two hours and 58 minutes. So I uh, broke the elusive um, three-hour marathon at age 42. That's a huge accomplishment. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So 
Conventional wisdom tells us distance runners tend to peak their performance in their 30s. And that is really based on elite runners who train basically their entire lives at a very, very high level. We tend to see their peak performances as distance runners in their 30s. However, the rest of us are not elite runners. And as you have just illustrated, it is entirely possible to become faster past your 30s, into your 40s, 50s, and even beyond. So tell us a bit about how that journey looks different for somebody who is a newer runner versus somebody who's been training at a high level their entire life. Yeah, yeah, that's it's really interesting. So, you know, because I started late in life, it's impossible to know what I could have done if I had started earlier. But, um, you know, people tend to peak in uh, somewhere between five to seven years after they start running. It could be a little longer, could be a little shorter. So it actually really doesn't matter when you start. If you if you get into running and you, you know, do all the right things, train properly, sleep properly, recover properly, all of that good stuff, eat, eat well, um, you can continue to improve at any age. And, and it doesn't mean once you hit that five-year mark or seven-year mark or whatever it happens to be, it might be 12-year mark for you, what, whatever it is, it doesn't mean you're automatically going to just fall off a cliff and decline. It, it just matters that, you know, there are ways to keep growing and improving, and it really doesn't matter how old you are. I mean, yes, if you are trying to win the Olympic marathon, I would not suggest starting at age four. I mean, you might need to start a little younger than that, but if you really want to be the best athlete that you possibly can be, that can happen at any age. And I will just say, I got a DM recently from a runner who I've been corresponding with, and she has transitioned to a 80-20 style of running where majority easy running, some hard days. And she's gotten her husband, who's in his 60s, into the style of running as well, proper training. And he recently ran a 5K PR in his 60s after being a runner for decades. So the whole proper training, just running is different from training properly for peak performance. So just as a plug, I mean, if you've been running for a while, it doesn't necessarily mean you've been training properly. And those performance gains can come from tweaking your actual training. But let's talk a bit about a lot of runners have started running uh, because of COVID or around COVID. And we are seeing an influx of runners who are starting later in life in their 40s, 50s, or even 60s. Does their training as new runners after 40 differ at all from a new runner who might be in a younger age group? Not necessarily. So when you are a new runner, the things you have to look at is, um, you know, how fit are you in general? Did you come from another endurance sport? Let's say you came from, you know, you biked all the time or you swam all the time. So if that is you, you probably have a really big aerobic capacity. But if you're not um, uh, training specifically for the impact of running, your legs are going to have a long way to go to catch up to your lungs. And this is true for it doesn't matter how old you are. So if you go out because you say, oh, I'm an athlete, I'm, you know, and I love biking, I'm in great shape. And then you try to put on a really heavy running schedule, your legs will let you know that you're making a big mistake. So, um, 
the tissue and the bones and the, you know, all of that need to need, need time to develop to withstand the impacts of running. So a brand new runner, it, it just doesn't matter how old you are. It, it's not about the age. It's about how structurally sound you are and about where your fitness level is at the moment. So I would never have a brand new runner at 25 or at 75, you know, run seven days a week or even five days a week, you know? So you, you have to start slower, whether you're, uh, no matter what your age, when you're a beginner, just to, to let the adaptations um, happen in your body. What about for runners who are used to doing everything at a really high intensity because they've been taught that harder training is more effective? Uh, will they still get benefits from doing a lot of easy effort aerobic endurance building? Hard training is effective. It absolutely is effective when you do it in small doses. So that really is the key. The vast majority of runners run way too fast, way too often. And when you do that, when you have your easy run just a little bit too fast, even if it's 10 seconds too fast, even if it's just sort of, oh, I feel good, I'm gonna run sort of medium today. What you do when you do that is you steal speed from your speed days. So you can't run your fast days fast enough and you're never slowing down enough that you're getting true recovery. So it's, and it, and it's not even just recovering from hard workouts. That that's super important. You absolutely need that. But what is also happening when you run your easy runs too fast is you're not getting the, mo the most bang for your buck. You're not really in the zone where peak aerobic development is going to happen. And so every, every race longer than 800 meters is mostly aerobic. And so aerobic means with oxygen. And that system, that energy system is only developed at the slower speeds. So you know, we as runners tend to be type A, we tend to be go-getters, we tend to be really, you know, self-sufficient and we want to achieve all the time. Well, on your easy days, it shouldn't be about pace. It shouldn't be about achieving. You shouldn't end your runs huffing and pump, puffing. You should end your runs being like, yep, I checked the box. That was easy. And that's it. And that's hard. That's a hard mentality to um, develop. But once you learn how to run slowly, and I always say this is the toughest thing that I teach is how to run slowly. Once you learn the skill of running slowly, running in a relaxed, uh, at a relaxed pace where you could talk or you could sing along to your music, that is when all the good stuff starts to happen. It is an unfortunate truth, though, that as we age, we become a little bit less resilient and acquire a little bit more recovery time than the young whippersnappers out there. And I've noticed even in my 30s, I'm reaching the age of where sometimes I wake up and I've slept wrong on my neck and it feels funny. Um, but as we age, we do require more recovery time and in general are not able to hit the massive volumes of running that we might have been able to sustain when we were younger in our in our 20s. So how does that recovery time impact or does it impact the kind of training that a runner will do as they age? Yeah, it does. It's it certainly does affect your training. So 
you know, if you look at um, a decent uh, runner who is well-trained, who is in their, you know, let's say mid-20s or maybe 30 years old, a typical running schedule would be, you know, you're running your track day on Tuesday, you're running your tempo on Thursday, you've got your long run on the weekends, then you might have a day off and then the other days are, involve easy running. Um, after a certain point, you might find that having that Tuesday, Thursday combo with just the Wednesday in between, just one day of, of recovery, you might find that your performance on Thursday is really starting to drag and it's starting to get harder and harder to feel good for that tempo run. That is a sign that you need to spread it out. So the first thing you might want to try is moving that tempo run to the Friday so that you have um, two days in between um, your Tuesday workout and your Friday workout. And if that start, and then of course you'd have to move your long run back a day. And if that feels good for a while, hang out there for a little bit, see how that feels. But if you're really starting to feel more fatigued than usual, if you're feeling fatigued in your daily life, not just your runs, um, if you're feeling like um, mentally foggy, if, if all sorts of things could be happening that you're just feeling not yourself, then that is a sign that you do need more recovery. Um, so what I tend to do for masters runners is I either eliminate that second speed day. You really don't need two big speed days a week, especially if you're adding a little speed to your long run or if you're doing strides after an easy run. You don't need these huge sessions of speed. Um, or another alternative, if you have the time, and what's nice about master's runners who are retired, they usually have a lot of time, um, they can move to a 10-day schedule. So a 10-day schedule instead of a seven-day schedule. So that might mean that you're running your long run on a Tuesday, and then you don't run it until you know 10 days later. And what that does is you still get all of the volume of training, but you just spread it out a little bit more. And I find that that is one way to um, make it more manageable for master's runners. And then I would say the next choice after that, if you really are just not finding um, a groove in your training and things, you know, maybe you're getting injured, you know, or maybe you just can't shake that fatigue. The next thing I would advise is adding in some cross training that is low or no impact. Um, this is not for everybody. Not everybody wants to do something else besides running, but I would highly, highly encourage it because it's not just about being a runner. It's about being a well-rounded athlete. And um, I interviewed uh, Dan King, who has the world record in the 60 to 64 age group in the mile. And he only runs four days a week. And what he does is he balances um, his running with cycling or hiking or swimming. And for him, he says that is what saves his joints. That is what keeps his running fresh is because he's not constantly pounding. I love that you brought up the 10-day training cycle because that was something I was going to ask you about if you hadn't brought it up anyways. And this is something we don't usually talk about because we're so seven-day focused that it's without really understanding for most people, the seven-day training cycle is a fairly arbitrary number because our weeks happen to be seven days long. If our weeks were six days long or they're eight days long, I guarantee you our training cycles would be six days long or they'd be eight days long. The only reason we really have a seven-day training cycle is the common uh, microcycle length is because it's the number of days we have in our week. So moving to a 10-day 
or other, maybe it's nine, maybe it's 11 day cycle can be really beneficial. Like you said, for getting that same volume in your quote unquote training week, it's just a longer period of time over which it's happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and let's say you do have a work schedule that, look, you can't run long on a Tuesday. That is normal. So what do you do instead? You can alternate your long runs. So you can have, um, let's say you run long on Saturday. In, so one, one Saturday, you would run your longer long run. And then the following Saturday, Saturday, you would drop that back a little bit. It would still be a significant run for you, whatever that means. I don't know if that's 10 miles or if it's 12 miles or 14 miles, whatever your fitness indicates, but it's a significant drop down from your um, previous week. And so you're going every other week. And so you're not just totally pounding yourself super long on the weekends. You are alternating hard week, easy week, hard week, easy week. And that can help. What about situations? And I use this in some of my runners too, who are um, building up to a certain volume, but are not ready to spend, you know, they can't run 20 miles in under three hours. What about stacking a medium long run or a medium long run before a, a medium long or a longer run? So you basically have on one day you're running a, a, not an insignificant amount of time or miles, and then the next day you're also running. And so you're entering that second day in a pre-fatigued state. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do this with all of my athletes who are training for the half marathon and above. So um, the concept of pre-fatiguing your legs is really, really helpful because what it allows you to do is it allows your long run to be shorter. And But if you look at the course of two days, you've put in a lot of miles in two days. So you're not completely recovered when you start the long run, but um, that allows you to get the adaptations needed for endurance and for speed or whatever you know you're working on at the time but it's broken up into two days so let's say um you do a steady run and a long run so you do a steady run on friday and your long run on saturday so the steady run what that would look like would be a couple miles warm-up and then you'd move into a steady portion so steady i um defined as roughly marathon pace to 30 seconds slower than marathon pace per mile and then that portion would be maybe four miles, maybe six miles, maybe eight miles, totally depends on your fitness, and then a mile or two of cool down. And so that the pace is actually not super important. You know, I have uh, runners who say, oh, I missed my paces on the steady. I don't care. It's not about that run. It's about prepping for the next run. So the steady should feel medium effort. Whatever that feels for, like for you on that day should be a medium effort so that it's not easy, but it's not terribly hard. And then when you start your next run, the next day, your long run, so let's say that's 14 miles, instead of um, you starting at zero, you're actually starting at mile eight that morning instead of zero. And so you get all of the good stuff from running a really long run, but you break it up into two days. It's better for your body to absorb the training. It's um, You're not gonna break down as badly at the end of the run. Um, your long run is going to be harder. I will warn you that it's a lot harder to run long when you're not feeling fresh for sure. But what the pre-fatigue does is it teaches your body and your brain what it's going to feel like at the end of the marathon when you are expected to run fast on tired legs because you've already tired them out. 
And I'll also say if you're a runner who's building up to mileage for the very first time or is building their volume and endurance for the first time, it might not even be a steady state run. It might be just that you run the day before your longer run. Or if you're not in a place where you're running by mileage, you might be running by time. So it's like an hour and then the next day it's two or two and a half hours to the long run. So it, mm-hmm. this is again, we're like, it depends on kind of what um, where you are in your training. I know a lot of my listeners range from people who are aiming for a six hour marathon all the way up to people who are probably in that three hour marathon range. So the general principles of your training don't change just specifically how it's applied to your situation is what really does change. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is a a staple of ultra marathon training. A lot of people as they get older feel like, you know, the road marathon is not for them. And they just want to run around in the woods for many, many hours. (laughs) And how you train for an ultra is back to back long runs. And so you don't run 30 miles in in, you know, to prepare for your 50k or your 100k or your 100 miles. You don't go out and do that you break up your long runs into back to back sessions and that better prepares you than one big long grueling run. And on the topic of recovery, it does seem like there I'm sure there's a bell curve. If you're retired, you probably have all the time to sleep in the world, but sleep is your number one recovery tool. And it seems like a lot of runners who are in their 40s and their 50s tend to have massive life obligations too and just aren't sleeping very much. What advice do you have for them? Because they need to sleep. It's so important. Well, you know, I'm I'm 45 and I have a bunch of kids and I train hard and I know exactly what's going on with this. So the the harsh reality is you've got to prioritize it. You know, just like we plan our training, we need to plan our sleep and recovery. So when you're putting the kids to bed, it's time for you to go to bed too, you know, unless you have the luxury of waking up at nine in the morning, which you probably don't if you have children, you have got to get your sleep on the back end. That means you have to go to bed earlier. And, you know, what I do personally with my kids is TVs are off at eight o'clock. You've got to go to bed. You don't have to go to sleep, but mommy time is over. So, you know, they'll they'll read or they'll do whatever they want to do in their room. But it's time for me to stop parenting at eight o'clock and it's time for me to start winding down myself. And I'm usually in bed, not necessarily asleep, but I'm in bed by nine or nine thirty and making sure that I have enough sleep for the next day. I know that this is like sort of boring advice. And, you know, we just want time with our partner or we want time, you know, without the kids at the end for ourselves. Um, But, you know, there has to be a way to make sleep a priority if you really want to be the athlete you want to be. Have you had any conversations with athletes that you've worked with and telling them that either they need to get more sleep or they need to train less? I have. I, I have. And, you know, I have an athlete who um, is a single mom and she has two small boys and she keeps telling me that, you know, she cannot get into bed before 11 o'clock or midnight. And then because of her job, she's waking up at five in the morning and, you know, she has a physical job. And so not only is she training super hard for her race, she has a physical job and two little kids that she's chasing around. And I have had to talk to her and I said, look, you know, first of all, your kids, 
they need sleep too. So this is something that the whole family needs. So this can be a project that you work on together, but you are going to break down. You're in your risk of overtraining because you're under recovering. Um, I tend to not <laughs> tell people too much that they should train less until, you know, unless there really is a problem because I would rather focus on recovery more. But yeah, you'll have to have that real conversation with people like, look, you're burning the candle at two at both ends. So something is going to give. You can either choose what gives or the choice will be made for you. Is there anything we can do to help us become more durable runners as we age? And I'm leading this into the topic of strength training, an oft neglected portion of many runners training. Strength training becomes more important as we age, not less. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. So, you know, from personal experience in, in my marathon buildup in, you know, in uh, running, you know, two marathons a year and progressing so quickly, I was always a big fan of strength training and I 100% credit it for me being injury free the entire time. And um, I think it's absolutely important for everyone to strength train, even if you're not a runner, because what starts to happen is our muscles start to decline as early as age 30, our muscles, um, you know, start to break down more than they build up. And unless you are eating well and lifting up heavy things, you are going to lose muscle mass. And, you know, that's really the problem that happens as we get older if we neglect our strength training. So it is not just for runners, but especially for runners, because if you're doing all cardio, if you are just running, you know, you get to a point where, you know, running is a catabolic activity. It will burn muscle, period, end of story, <laughs> you know? And so if you are not eating enough and, you know, making sure you get pro adequate protein, you don't have to have protein shakes or anything like that, but making sure you have a balanced diet with enough calories, super important, um, you're going to lose muscle mass if you don't. So you have to strength train. It doesn't take much. You know, you can get away with two days a week. You can get away with 10 minutes a day. You know, if you really hate strength training, make it a part of your cool down. Make it a part of just stack it, stack the habit onto your running. So add 10 minutes a day after every run. Or if you don't want to do that, I, I prefer to do it in sessions. I would rather lift hard two to three times a week, then do it every single day. It just, that would, that's what works for me. But regardless of how you do it, just do it. And in balancing out that recovery, because we typically say, keep your hard days hard, keep your easy days easy. And you tend to add strength training to your harder days first, your speed worker tempo days, and not to easy running days, unless, you know, you are doing that third day and you add it to an easy day first, then that easy day becomes like a moderate day. What we don't want to have happen is that you are strength training on your rest days because they're, then they're no longer rest days. How would you recommend that masters runners balance out that training intensity distribution? Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree that if you can do it, you want to do your strength training after your speed session or after your long run. So if you run in the morning, um, you can either do your strength immediately after or you can do it in the night. So that is um, allowing the next day to be completely rest or easy recovery. Um, so you are actually prioritizing recovery. But 
some people just are too tired and they're just like, I, Claire, I'm not going to do it. I cannot do a 30 minute strength session after I just ran 16 miles. It's just not going to happen. I say, okay, give yourself a break with that and let's do it first thing the next morning. And then run at night that same day, you know, so you are still getting the 24 hours or the 12 hours or you're still getting a concentrated recovery time. It's just not in the 24 hours of a Monday, you know, it might be overnight. But if you if you think about it more as 24 hours, 48 hours, then you can kind of play with the timing a little bit. But the key is we don't want your strength training to negatively affect your running. So you don't want to be so tired from lifting weights that you can't run well the next day. So that's really important. Go, you know, go hard on your speed days. Knock out that long run. Do awesome on your running. Your priority is running. Your speed, your strength sessions should, should support that. So you want to make sure that you are not killing it in the gym. You're you're doing average. You get a C plus in the gym, <laughs> and then you do a B plus in your runs, <laughs> and and just you know make sure you're spreading out enough time that you do have recovery. For some people, that's one day. For some people, that's two days. It w- you'll figure out what works for you, um, but it's you should feel fresh when you're starting your speed days or your long runs, if you didn't do a steady the day before. And speaking of speed work, speed work actually becomes more important as we age, not less. Tell us why that is. Well, so, you know, as we get older, you know, we have slow twitch fibers, fast twitch fibers. So slow twitch muscle fibers are what um, propels us for endurance. Fast twitch are what helps us run fast. So um, as we age, we are going to lose those fast twitch fibers unless we keep developing them. So if your goal is to become a faster runner, you have to run fast sometimes. Um, But even if you don't care about speed, let's just say, you know, I love running and I just want to be out there. I don't want to do speed work. It's not interesting to me. Well, I would argue that doing a little bit of speed work actually makes you a better runner at all paces. So my favorite thing to include for any runner, even brand new beginner runner, is strides. So a stride is a 20-second usually 20, 30 second acceleration and deceleration that typically is after your run. So you do an easy run, stop, get a drink, chill out, let your heart rate come down, and then you'll start a 20 second stride. Now it's not a sprint. A sprint would be like hitting, you know, the gun and going as fast as you can and dropping to your knees afterward. It's not that. It's a drill that helps you get in touch with your speed. It's not necessarily about running as fast as possible. What it is about is teaching your brain and your legs to communicate better. Once they communicate better and say, hey, we're doing faster running now, (laughs) then they know what faster running feels like. You know you have to have good form when you run fast. So by just doing those 20 seconds, maybe you do four strides, um, just doing that a couple times a week will actually teach you better form. It will help you practice running fast in little tiny doses. And that's good for all runners, no matter no matter how old they are. I love strides. And anybody who's worked with me, I think, has been, um, they're like, what are these? I'm like, strides. Then I go off and do a lovely explanation. Because we talk about all of this. One of the things that a lot of runners, I feel like, tend to misconstrue is that 
all we're trying to do is find the minimum effective dose in their training. Because especially when it comes to distance running, the more volume that we add, the higher your injury risk becomes across the board. Like running 60, 70, 80 miles a week is a lot more, uh, has a much higher injury risk than somebody who's running 20 or 30, 40 miles a week. If you don't need to run 70 miles a week, you shouldn't run 70 miles a week. If you can run 55 miles a week and get the same training benefits based on what you're doing. And I feel like that that's a really important thing for masters runners to understand too, especially if they've been going through training periods in their life where they've just continued to add volume every single time they've gone through a training cycle. They don't, you can't keep adding indefinitely. No, you definitely can't keep adding, but I would also um, watch out for the opposite as well. I think when I work with um, masters runners and, you know, for masters running is 40 and up, I think there are some people who um, don't think that they can run fast anymore. They don't think that they can add volume anymore. They have this like feeling like, you know, I'm old, so I should really take it easy. And I think a lot of master runners undertrain. I think they don't reach their potential because it's, you know, thankfully it's starting to become more normal. It's starting to be, you know, accepted. You see 70 year olds, uh, you know, running marathons and older, you know, thankfully it's starting to change a little bit, but I do have um, athletes that I work with that are like, oh, well, I'm just gonna, you know, cut it back today. And I'm like, you're killing it. Let's, let's add a little more. So, you know, yes, you do need to, every runner needs to find their point where, you know, look, I'm feeling like this is a bit too much and back off, but you need to get to the point first. So don't set these arbitrary um, mileage goals or speed goals or, or recovery goals even. Don't set these arbitrary goals based on, you know, what you've read or, say, or your friend, your running buddy, because that might not be you. You might actually be able to train harder than you think, but you need to approach it gradually. And I know this is tangential to masters related runners, but I often hear from women who have had children, they wonder if they're ever going to be fast again, or if, they, <laughs> if it's possible to be, get faster than they were before they had kids. And I think the answer to that, as you will say, is a resounding yes, of course, of course you can get faster. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm proof of it. Lots of elite runners out there who have had babies and have come back stronger mentally we are way stronger <laughs> than we were before because parenting is hard. We know what hard work is. We know what sleep deprivation is like. We know what it's like to do a hard thing and come out on the other side. So yes, um, you know, having, having children should be no, um, it should not be a barrier to running your best times. You absolutely can. There are going to be some logistical things, obviously having a family, you know, you, you have to plan things better for sure, but that would be having anything in your life that's, that's hard or worth having, you know, you need to plan things out a little bit better, but, um, you know, but things are going to change with your body. Things are going to change during pregnancy. Things are going to change after pregnancy. Things are going to change as you approach men menopause. You know, there's all sorts of things that are going to change, you know, in the stages of our lives. And, you know, men go through, you know, changes in their bodies as they age as well. So it's about, you know, accepting the stages of life and, you know, slowly adapting to whatever new phase you're in, 
but also not being afraid to really be a go-getter. Like if you love running fast, learn how to run fast because it's super fun, no matter what your age. And there's all sorts of ways to be an accomplished runner, to be the best version of yourself, to be everything you wanted to be. And it really honestly doesn't matter how old you are. Um, and speaking of the the differences between men and women as they age, women have to deal with um, more hormonal changes, more changes in our bodies as we age. Are there special considerations for female masters runners that we should know about? Um, yes and no. So as we, as we approach menopause, you know, there's actually, you know, I'm not there quite yet, but there's actually some good things that happen. You know, we don't get our period anymore and that's a blessing for most people. Um, and, but there are going to be some hormonal changes that, that, you know, we have to deal with. So a lot of women have hot flashes, for example. And, you know, the biggest problem with that is the lack of sleep. They're up at night because they're uncomfortable. So you do have to find a way to deal with that. But I have um, heard that uh, female runners actually deal with those hot flashes better because we're used to being hot and sweaty all the time. So <laughs> so we can handle it a little bit better. But, um, you know, and as you go through that change, there might be some ways your body changes. There might be some ways that your body changes the way the way it stores fat. You know, you might find that, you know, your belly is a little bit softer or or other things might, you know, just affect your ego a little bit, you know, as we get older. But I would say similar things happen in men. I would not say, you know, necessarily the hormonal changes, but, you know, I have runners who get upset that they can't read their garment anymore because they don't have their reading glasses on. And that is something that you have to deal with as a runner. You're trying to read your watch and you're like, well, what am I going to do? Well, honestly, there are things you can do. You can have your watch set to vibrate at certain paces. You can switch your watch face to have your pace read as big as possible. You know, there are ways around the little inconveniences that are going to happen as you get older. But I think the the biggest thing is accepting who you are, what you are, and accepting that you can always improve. Maybe your speed is going to go down. You know, maybe the fastest marathon you've ever raced, maybe that day is behind you, but there are always a way to make a goal interesting and exciting. So I think that is the most important thing about running. It should be interesting and exciting to you. And as you get older, you know, there might not be as much competition. So you can go way up in the ranking. You know, you can look for age group awards. You can use age grading and you can compare yourself as a 75 year old man to like a 20 year old sprinter, you know, and you can say, wow, I'm actually, you know, beating an Olympian right now or, or whatever. There are lots of ways that we can find value in our running and accept the changes that we're going through. Um, you know, no matter what happens. I think that's such a key point. And I love that you brought that up about, you know, Yes, eventually all of us will have run the fastest we've ever run at X distance because that's just life. We can't, you know, if you start running when you're 80, maybe you'll run a PR when you're 90. But for most of us, you know, at some point we'll realize, I think that may have been my fastest marathon. 
But that doesn't mean that you should just give up and like go home and pack it in. There's always something more to strive for in setting those different goals. Or maybe it's new distances. Maybe you go and race, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know, 15Ks instead of 10Ks or whatever the thing is to kind of shake things up and and help keep things fresh for you because that's Mm -hmm. important. Yeah, and I have I have runners that like to erase their PRs. So they just do PRs per decade. So, you know, I have one runner who's in her 60s and she's like, oh, I just, you know, I turned 60. So I get all new PRs because everything is fresh. You know, every decade is a new opportunity. And I just, I love that attitude because, yeah, is, is she going to be out there beating her 30-year-old self? No, she's not. And that's just life. But she looks at it in a really positive way. You know, we're not out here training for the Olympics. You know, we're not trying to, you know, compete against ourselves. You know, we're not trying to compete against other people, but we should also not be competing against our younger selves. Excellent point. One of the things I think it's important to understand when you mentioned before about our bodies do change is that. Sometimes when we age or when our body composition changes, we tend to change our nutritional composition as well. And I know that um, sometimes we tend to gain weight based on where we are in the phase of life. And sometimes that results in somebody under eating in order to try to lose that weight. Tell us how our nutrition requirements change as we age. Okay. This is, this is really great to point out. So our, you know, so if we weren't runners, as we get older, our nutritional needs tend to go down. We tend not to need as many calories as we age, but that is, you know, dependent on, you know, that's assuming that we're all sitting around. So if you have, um, upped your training, you need to up your nutritional intake, but what I see people doing is, um, you know, oh, I'm, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running, and I am still gaining weight. What is going on? Um, in Usually what is happening is a lack of strength training. So the reason, another reason strength training is so awesome is that muscle is more metabolically active than fat. And so if you have muscle on your body, then you are burning calories just sitting around versus if it were fat. So that can help keep your um, body composition in check if you are sure to um, add in the strength training. But if all you do is run, again, it comes back to running being a catabolic activity. So it does burn fat, sure. It does burn carbohydrate in the form of glycogen, sure. But it's also burning muscle. So it this happens, you know, in everybody, but especially as we lose muscle mass anyway as we age, strength training becomes more important and how we feel our bodies is more important. So what happens when you underfuel, which a lot of people do because, you know, hey, I want to lose weight or, hey, I want to look good. I'm going to eat less. Well, you can't grow muscle if you're in a calorie deficit. You can only grow muscle if you are in a slight um, calorie surplus. If you're eating a little bit more, that's how the body grows muscle is it uses those extra calories to build the muscle that you've started growing when you're lifting weights. And if you, um, 
you know, don't, if you're constantly in a deficit, what your body says is, oh my gosh, I'm starving. I'm starving. I'm starving. And I'm going to hoard all the fat I can because the famine is coming. And unfortunately, this process seems to affect women more than affects men because you know, women, our bodies are meant to have babies. And in order to have babies, we need to have a certain amount of fat. So a healthy woman's body is naturally going to have more fat than a man's body. But we are also way more susceptible to hormonal disruptions as we cut calories. So um, cutting calories and training hard is a really, really dangerous combination for all runners, but it seems to affect women more. So make sure as you increase your training that you are getting enough to eat and you are getting a good balance of all the macros and all the micronutrients. So lots of plants, lots of whole foods is your best bet, but make sure you are refueling. A very classic situation I also see a lot is a woman in her you know, 40s or 50s who wants to lose a little bit of belly fat, who's been training in a fasted state, who's been doing a lot of high intensity exercise, whether, you know, a lot of interval speed work, or maybe a lot of, you know, longer, um, higher intensity runs, or including something like HIIT workouts or CrossFit. And she is wondering, I'm doing all of this work and I'm, I'm not losing weight, or I might even be gaining weight. That's kind of like the classic situation of your body in a freak out mode. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what's happening is when you're freaking out your body with all of this high intensity exercise, what is happening? Okay. Stress hormones, all your stress hormones like cortisol are going through the roof. So your body thinks you're being chased by the saber tooth tiger at this point. You know, there's no difference between doing hit than being chased by a tiger. Your body doesn't understand the difference. And so it says, oh my gosh, we're in imminent danger. Conserve, conserve, conserve. And so it will actually start burning fewer calories when you're in a constantly stressed state. So that's, you know, all goes back to what we were talking about before. You need to recover from your hard efforts. You need to have mostly low effort exercise with occasional spikes of speed or hit. I mean, hit is great, definitely, but that's like a once a week or once every other week kind of activity for a runner. It's not something, unless you're a sprinter, you know, that's not something that you want to be introducing all the time because it just keeps your stress levels way too high, which is terrible for body composition. There's a difference between engaging in fitness industry style fitness classes and training properly for endurance running. And I think it's really, I mean, like you said, hits great. It'll make you fit, but you shouldn't be doing a whole bunch of it. And you shouldn't certainly shouldn't be doing a whole bunch of it in addition to a lot of your running that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So the way that I like to um, visualize this, and you know, this would be perfect for one of your infographics, <laughs> is that easy running is the cake, your speed running is the frosting, and maybe the hit is the sprinkles. You know, so easy, your dessert, cake is pretty good by itself. You know, cake's a pretty good dessert. But do you want to really eat a bowl of frosting or do you really want to eat a bowl of sprinkles? No, you don't. You know, but the three of them together in the right ratio, that's like the perfect dessert. So that's the way running needs to be. Like easy running is the cake. That's a really good idea. I might I might actually have to make one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, be sure to tag me. Well. <laughs> 
Um, how have you noticed your training changed in the past, you know, what, seven to how long, 10 years that you've been training into your thirties now in your forties? Well, um, I am not training um, as intensively anymore for marathons. I got to the point where um, breaking three hours was everything to me and it became a job and it became something I was doing just to, at the end, it came to be a point where I was just trying to get it off my back. I knew I could do it. You know, the time before I broke the marathon, I finished in three hours and 29 seconds, which is just so close and so um, just, oh, I cannot believe it. So I needed that redemption run just to, just to check the box. And um, I'll tell you, though, I did drop a speed session and I dropped, a mile, dropped my mileage down. So when I ran my fastest marathon, I was not doing super high volume for me. I was not doing all the speed work. I was doing half the speed work and probably 20% less of the mileage. And that is what worked for me. Um, really taking it down a notch because I was just getting too focused on this time goal. I really just had to have this time goal for my ego. You know, I mean, let's, let's be real. I just wanted to be the fast girl. I wanted to have that two next to my name. And don't get me wrong. It's an accomplishment that I'm extremely proud of. And I'm happy to say that I did it, but it was not something that really was finding, you know, serving me anymore. It was not giving me joy. So now where I get my joy is helping others. I really love sharing everything that I've learned. I really love helping other people achieve their goal because it is just so satisfying to me and I don't have to do all the hard work. <laughs> no, I'm joking. It is still, it still is work, but you know, I, I just really love being able to share what I've learned. Um, so now what I do instead, I still run almost every day, but it's, it's easy running. It's, it's just running for my mental health. It's running to stay aerobically fit. I, I love running just purely for running, not for racing. Um, to be honest, racing was never my favorite part of running. I always loved the training, but the the race environment wasn't always my favorite. And but I do a lot more strength training. So I strength train half an hour, five days a week. And you know, if you're talking about body composition, if that's your only goal, that's what I would recommend: less running, more strength training. Um, but you know, if you do want to have running goals, strength training is a good complement to that. But for pure you know, body composition, strength training is probably going to be your better bet. But so I have a different relationship now with running than I um, had before. Um, does it mean that I'll never race again? No, I, I do probably see myself racing, you know, if my kids get into it and they say, mama, will you run a marathon with me? You know, that would be a really good goal. But I would need something um, to motivate me other than time because time is just not important to me anymore. I check the box. I can say, yes, I ran fast. And, you know, time goals really aren't interesting to me. So it would have to be something different that would get me back out there. But I, I love being a well-rounded athlete. I love being fit. <clears throat> I will always be a runner as long as my, my body will let me. It just will look a little bit different. What advice do you have for runners of all ages who put a lot of pressure on themselves to achieve specific time goals and hearing you say what you've gone through with your experience say, well, yeah, she can say that about her time goals because she's already achieved it. And, and honestly, I mean, 
some writers that I work with or have conversed with, this is really important to them. They are putting a lot of pressure on themselves to achieve this time goal. What do you have to say for them? I would say, first of all, time goals are awesome. Like time goals are amazing. You know, they are this super exciting, motivating um, factor that can really propel your running. Like when you first start running or when you first start running, you know, right and getting PRs and every race you do better and better, that is absolutely wonderful, intoxicating, motivating. It is all the good things. But on the flip side, if that is your identity, it will break your heart. You know, I have, <laughs> I have sat and cried at the end of marathons before, you know, I have, uh, I've been through the heartbreak that running can, can give you. And, you know, if, if, if you are looking for time goals, that's not always in our control. You know, what if the weather's bad? What if, you know, something happens? What if you drop your water bottle? You know, whatever. There are so many things out of our control and time goals, you know, your time is not always going to be what you want it to be. And if that is your only goal, you're going to be devastated. So there are many ways to um, show improvement. There's many ways to say, yeah, I did a really good job and I feel good about myself. But if you're always looking for time goals, um, you know, there are going to be times where it's just going to break your heart. So what I would say is don't expect running to be like a linear line, you know, starting at the bottom and always going up. You're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have times where you don't hit your goal. Well, what else are you doing this for? Because, you know, you have to have another why. Race day is just a day. You know, especially if marathoning is your thing, you're only going to have a few hours a year where <laughs> where your those times matter. The rest of the time you're out there slogging. The rest of the time, you know, you're running long and you don't really feel like it. Like, what are you doing this for? Marathoning is not just for health and fitness. You know, you could argue that marathoning is actually not good for your health. You could argue that it's actually over-exercising. So if you are going to put your body through this kind of stress, there has to be a reason that is bigger than a time. And I'll, I'll say it again, times are awesome. There is nothing like wondering, hey, could I really do this? And then doing that thing. There's nothing better than doing something hard well. Have the time goals. But also be have grace with yourself. Have other things. Have process goals. Have things that you're doing this for besides just the time. Amen. It's so <laughs> important, especially because runners are a group who tend to achieve the things that they set out to achieve in other areas of their life, and not always getting what we want or expect or put the work into to get the result from is a bit of a mind shift for a lot of people and understanding like, well, I don't understand. I did all of the right things. Why didn't I get the result that I deserved? And that's the kind of awful beauty of this sport is that there are no guarantees. You just have to go out there and give it your best shot on the day. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You can't control what you can't control. And, you know, one of the beauties of running is, at least at first, you see the results from your work. If you work hard, 
running will give back to you and you will see improvement um, up to a point. There will be a point where what you what you did yesterday doesn't work anymore. And that's when you got to shift and adjust. And, you know, this is all just a big metaphor for life, isn't it? You know, we, we pretend that we're talking about running. We're not. We're talking about life. You know, things change. We have to adapt. You know, what worked before doesn't always work. So we got to shift. We got to shift our perspective mentally. We got to change our habits a little bit. When things aren't working, we need to adjust. You know, this is not all just, you know, about running. This is life in general. Yeah, it's not about running. It's about life. All we're <laughs> doing here is just is learning about how to just live better in exactly. who we are in our own skin. Um, Claire, this has been a fantastic conversation. I hope that my listeners have learned something. If they're not master's runners, they will be one day. All of you will eventually be master's runners. So um, Claire, uh, where can people find you, follow you? Uh, what are you working on right now? Well, I am on Instagram at uh, The Planted Runner. My website is theplantedrunner.com. And I also host one of the leading uh, podcasts on running called Run to the Top. And you can check that out wherever you listen to podcasts. So that comes out. We do uh, two episodes a week. One is an interview um, episode and one is more running coaching of advice that we do. So um, check out the Run to the Top. And um, I also have a little freebie for your listeners. So if um, you are interested in, uh, I have a free download of the ultimate fueling guide for runners. So it tells you what to eat before, during, and after your run. Um, free download at uh, theplantedrunner.com slash join. So J-O-I-N, and that'll go straight to your inbox. Excellent. And all of that will be linked in the show notes. Um, that fueling guide, that is so important. And that's something I talk with a lot of my runners about and all of my one-on-one -on -one athletes that I work with in our meetings. I'm like, tell me about your fueling. And I usually get a deer in the headlights look <laughs> like, uh, um, so fueling is not, it's not just about the running. Obviously in order to become well-rounded runners, we have to become good athletes, but we also have to address our fueling, hydration, sleep, all of it. It's not just about the running. It's about how everything fits together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree. Well, Claire, thank you so much for your time. This was a really excellent conversation. Absolutely agree. Thanks for having me, Elizabeth. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.